0: And this evening, we're just uh, looking at Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. Just kind of. So, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Listen now to the reading of God's holy word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the time He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him. Seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. O gracious God and Heavenly Father, we... We do praise you and thank you for your word, and we thank you for its truth. And again, as we come to uh, study this particular uh, doctrine of your, of your word, we pray that you would help us to understand and see uh, its importance and what you have to say about it. And, uh, and so we just pray, Father, that you would just be with us and that you would uh, bless our study this evening. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the German reformer Martin Luther (coughs) called justification by faith alone the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. And the reason for this bold statement is because justification is is the one doctrine that really strikes at the very heart of, of the gospel and of our salvation. Are we saved by our own works? Are we saved by a grace in addition to or in collaboration with our works? Or are we saved by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus Christ? Indeed, how we answer this question is what distinguishes the true church from a false church. It's what distinguishes eternal life in God's glorious presence from continuing in sin and condemnation and of course the eternal wrath of God. The doctrine of justification is critical to the gospel and to our salvation. And sadly, the truth recovered during the Reformation is now once again coming under attack by new perspectives and perversions of this doctrine. And of course to make matters worse, these attacks are coming from those who had called themselves Reformed. Well, to combat these assaults, we must be grounded in the truth of God's Word and what it does reveal to us about justification. The Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, chapter 11, paragraph 1, tells us that justification is God's pardoning our sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone nor by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing the obedience and satisfaction of Christ unto them. And so first we want to note here that justification is an act of God. That it's something that He does because He has the sovereign power and the authority to do so. Creation, remember, was an act of God's power through His Word. Salvation is an act of God's power through the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, justification is an act of God's power through the work of the Holy Spirit based upon the salvation which Jesus has accomplished for us. And so we see that justification is an act of God. Secondly, it's an uh, act of God in which He pardons Or forgives our sins and then accepts us as righteous in his sight. Now, this is legal terminology. And so, justification is God's declaring us not guilty. This declaration has two parts. First, God pardons or he forgives our sins. And in Ephesians 1 verse 7 we see here that in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. And that pardon removes the punishment from the one who was once marked as guilty. But justification isn't just the pardon of punishment and the removal of guilt, but that because God now accepts us as righteous in His sight, That is, because of the mediatorial work of the Lord Jesus Christ, God now views us very differently. He views us through Jesus, His Son. So Paul says in Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so being justified is also uh, known as being made righteous. And since we're now declared righteous through Christ, we who were once enemies of God because of our sin, well, we are now at peace with Him. And we can simply remember justification as God declaring us and seeing us just as if we never sinned. It's kind of an easy way to remember what justification is. God seeing us just as if we never sinned. Justification restores us to the peace and the fellowship that God, uh, with God and that God had with Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. Right? And so this is part of the restoration of the fall through the work of Christ is that we're now justified. We have this peace and reconciliation through Christ. And we have that wonderful fellowship uh, with God once again. And again, this imagery is, is legal imagery and it reminds us of a courtroom. And again, this is what a a court of law does, right? It justifies the righteous and it condemns the wicked. We see this in, in Deuteronomy 25, if there is a dispute between men and they come to court, that the judge may judge them and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked, right? That's what going to court is all about. Now we know, of course, though, in the courts of men, that this isn't always accomplished. In fact, It can even be quite the opposite, where we see the wicked being justified and the righteous being condemned. But this doesn't happen in God's heavenly courtroom. God is the perfect and righteous judge. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 33, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. And God is most just. Which means he will always do that which is right. He will never justify the wicked. Well, coming before this most holy judge are those who are not only charged with a crime, but they are actually guilty of the crimes that they've been charged with, right? And that's us, right? We we're not only uh, being charged. Hey, you you you're, you're being charged as. Uh, violating God's law, but we actually are guilty. We're the guilty criminals who have violated God's law. Remember Paul's words in Romans 3, that all have sinned, that we all have fallen short of the glory of God. So we all stand guilty before Him. Because of our sinfulness, we are then most deserving of God's wrath and condemnation. We deserve to be uh, condemned because of our sin and our weakness, but praise the Lord, He has provided for us a lawyer, an advocate, one who will not only speak for us as a lawyer will typically speak uh, for uh, their um, their client in, in a uh, courtroom, but our lawyer's lawyer is special because not only does he speak for us, but he will actually take upon himself the punishment. For our sins. In 1 John 2 we read this. And if anyone sins we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only but also for the whole world. Now propitiation is the satisfaction of God's justice. And Jesus that His once-for-all perfect sacrifice for our sins, Jesus satisfied God's justice in our place. That is, He endured the wrath and curse of God for our sins. He did that for us. And again, this is the great blessing of, our, of justification in Christ, that we're made right with God because Jesus Himself took upon Himself our sin and the punishment that we deserved, But then an amazing uh, blessing and turnaround of events In exchange. Jesus gave us his perfect righteousness so that we can now be reconciled to God. So that we can now stand uh, with great boldness in the throne room of God before the holy presence of God. And we see this this, uh, great exchange. Uh, Paul describes it beautifully in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He says, For He made Him who knew no sin, that is Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus became sin for us, so that we might become righteous in God's sight. Now this declaration of pardon and righteousness is made by God's free grace. That is, it's given to us as a gift, even though we don't deserve it. Again, we deserve God's just and holy wrath, but instead we've received what we don't deserve, grace leading to life. Again, Paul in Romans 3 verse 24 says, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Therefore, the righteousness that we have as believers in Jesus Christ, is not our own, right? It's Christ's righteousness bestowed upon us freely and graciously because we remember outside of Christ the appearance of any righteousness or goodness that we had was worthless and totally unable to gain God's favor, right? The Lord reveals this uh, worthless condition in Isaiah 64, these very humbling words, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Right? Even the, the good that we, that we think we're doing, maybe the, 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 the civil good or the common good, the good in man's sight, is nothing but filthy rags in the sight of God if it is not done in the name and to the glory of God. And so the righteousness that we gain from Christ is then foreign to us, right? It's not ours. It's not our own, but it's someone else's. And again, it's, it's not from the law, but it is from Christ. Again, in 2 Corinthians 5, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so our filthy rags have been exchanged for the perfectly pure and holy righteous robes of Jesus Christ, and this is accomplished through the process what we call imputation. Now, this is both an accounting term and it's also a legal term. Uh, this process of uh, imputation, and it's it involves uh, crediting a one account or crediting. Uh, one account to another. And so there are three uh, imputations or imputative uh, transactions that we see revealed in the scriptures. Right. Three of these were one account, one's account as being accredited to anothers. The first is Adam, right Adam, uh, since Adam was the father of the entire human race, he was our, our federal head, he was our representative in the garden, uh, acting on our behalf in the covenant of works. Well, then when Adam rebelled against God and sinned, well, we rebelled against God and sinned. And so the guilt of Adam's sin was then credited to our account. It was imputed to us. And Paul, again, talks about this in Romans 5, saying, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Right? That's the imputa- imputation of Adam's sin. He was our representative, so he was acting on our behalf. What he did, not only the sin, but the very guilt is now credited to our account. So we're sinners and our righteousness outside of Christ is nothing but filthy rags because we're born with the guilt of Adam's sin. Well, the second transaction, as we saw in 2 Corinthians 5, is that our sin is then imputed to Christ. That is, it was placed upon Him at the cross. Our sin was placed in His account. Which up to that point, the account of the Lord Jesus Christ was perfect and without blemish, and we see uh, the uh, the timing of this uh, really happening when Jesus is there on the cross and he's quoting those words of Psalm 22: "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" Why is God forsaking him? Because at that moment he's bearing the sins of the world; he's bearing our sins. They're being accredited to his account. And he's enduring the wrath and the curse of God for those sins. Well, the third imputation, again, because Christ had no sin and was perfectly righteous. Well, his righteousness is then imputed to us, right? It's then accredited to our account. And this is what we mean when we say that we're clothed in Christ's righteousness. It's not ours. He gives it to us. And it's placed in our accounts. And then we are able to use it. And to be blessed by it. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 61. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. It's exactly what Jesus Christ has done. It's what that that verse is speaking of. What Christ would do for his beloved. Clothing them in his perfect righteousness as he has taken upon himself our sin. And again, the key that we note here is that Christ did this for us when we were undeserving sinners. And so our justification, our being made right before God, is truly a gift of God's free grace. And instead of exacting the just penalty against us for our sin, Christ took it upon himself in our place. And this justification is applied to us by the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus. And again, the call of the Reformation was justification by faith through grace. And this faith too is a gift of God's grace. Paul mentions this in Ephesians 2 saying, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So even faith is a gift of God. It is a gift given to the sinner by the Holy Spirit, and it involves three things. It involves a a true knowledge of our sinfulness before God, it involves our inability to save ourselves, and it involves the fact that Jesus Christ is the only Savior for our sins. Many people have faith, but their faith is in lies and in falsehood. Faith must be grounded in the truth. And the second part of justifying faith (coughs) is that we uh, call uh, or assent of belief in the promises, or give assent and belief in the promises of the gospel. Again, many people have knowledge about God, right? The Bible, they have knowledge about the Bible, they have knowledge about Jesus, but they don't believe it. Knowledge and belief are essential to true justifying faith we not only need to know what the truth is but we need to believe it and thirdly there's the reception of resting upon christ and his righteousness that is we actually place our trust in christ and what he's done for us again we um we may believe right someone may believe that jesus died for our sins but unless we're truly and completely resting in that truth, our faith is not going to be firm. Such a deep and firm trust is what leads, ultimately then, to our assurance of salvation. Right, That we're resting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the great blessings of this whole doctrine of justification by faith alone is that we just rest in what Christ has already accomplished and what He's graciously given. We don't have to worry about whether we've done enough because we can't do enough. We don't want to do enough. We could never do enough. But we just rest in what Christ has done for us. But what about good works? Do works have any place in our salvation? Well, actually they do. But it's very important to remember that the place of works comes after we've been saved by grace through faith and not before. The works come after, not before. Our justification is rooted only in the work of Jesus. Good works don't justify us. Because remember the words of Paul, quoting from Psalm 14, that there are none who do good, no, not one. Now, some try to argue that uh, that our expression of faith is, is a work of sorts. The very fact of believing is a work. But this certainly isn't the case at all. Our expression of faith doesn't justify us, but is only the vehicle God uses to communicate to us that justification has been secured for us. And as we saw earlier from Ephesians 2, um, uh, Ephesians 2, is that even faith itself is a gift of God. It's not a work that we possess. Well, as we talk about the role of faith and works, it's important to note the clarity of Scripture on this particular point. But as you study the scriptures, some contend that there is a discrepancy, especially between Paul and James. And in our study of James, we're going to be getting into this. And uh, in the next I don't know, couple months or so, uh, we'll be dealing with this very issue. So we'll save it for, for then. But here's just a quick summary. <clears throat> because this is a common argument that you hear, even from those who are. Uh, setting forth some of these false views of justification is that Paul and James are in disagreement. Well, here's what Paul says about justification by faith. Romans 4 verses 2 and 3, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Right there, Paul is referring to the passage that we read earlier in In Genesis 15, Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Imputed, accounted, imputed to him as righteousness. And then Galatians 2 verse 16. Paul says this, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Here again, Paul is talking about uh, the works of the law and maybe especially the ceremonial works of the law. uh, And Galatians especially referring to uh, circumcision and the the, uh, right of circumcision doesn't save you. Doing all these religious rituals is not what saves you. And then again, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, as we read earlier, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. And so we have no reason to boast. Paul's very clear, because even faith itself is a gift given to us by God. What does James say then? Here's what we find in James. James chapter 2, verse 21, Was not Abraham our fa- father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Well, wait a minute. Isn't this contradicting what Paul said? No. And it's with, and one of the key things to remember in this particular uh, passage and when people uh, focus on James 2, verse 21, is that... And even as we've been seeing in our study of, of James so far, uh, what is the, one of the common things that we've been seeing is this um, James is kind of emphasizing the approving or the testing of our faith, right? To test the quality of our faith, right? That's why, why God allows these trials to come into our lives, to, uh, to approve us, to put us through that refiner's fire. Right? So that's the emphasis of James. Well, that's a little bit different than what Paul is referring to. And so here, when uh, James says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son in the altar? Remember, Paul was talking about Genesis 15. Here, James is referring to Genesis 22, right? Abraham already had faith, right? It was accounted to him as righteousness back in Genesis chapter 15, and then some 30 years later, when he has this, this promised son, and God tells him to take his son and to sacrifice his son, Abraham trusted in God. Right? His faith was being approved and tested. And he was put through the fire, so to speak. Right? That's what, a, what kind of a fiery trial would that be? Is, is the Lord telling you to sacrifice your only begotten son? Glorious picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, I might add. But, but it's a two different occasions. One, the, the earlier one, is Abraham being justified when he first believed in God. And then later, in uh, Genesis 22, in this account with Isaac, it's his faith being tested and approved. And so it's justified, but not, it's more in that way of being approved and and verifying his faith. And so there's two different events. So really, then, James and Paul are not in disagreement at all. Again, James says this you see then, uh, this is uh, 2 verse 24, you see then that a man is justified with works and not by faith only. But again, his emphasis is not on saving faith. But it's the testing of the faith that you already have, and of course James goes on to say very clearly, uh, "Show me your uh, your your faith without works, and I'll I'll show you my my works by my I'll show you my faith by my works." I didn't quite have that uh, memorized, but anyway, but you get you understand you know that passage, and it's right in that same context, right? That's what he's talking about, is showing our faith by our works, not securing our faith, not securing our righteousness by our works, but approving them, showing them, showing the quality of them, having been tested and approved by God. And so again, there is no discrepancy then between Paul and James. They're not teaching different views But they're making different emphasis about faith and works in salvation. Again, Paul emphasizing the importance of faith alone as the basis of our justification over following the law. Remember, faith comes by grace and grace is given by God. And again, James is cautioning against those who claim to be justified and who claim to have faith but are bearing no fruit in their lives. And the fruit comes from being obedient to God's law. And we see this in James. It's approving or testing the quality of our faith. James uh, 2 verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. And so what James is emphasizing is there must, by by its very nature, there must be fruit that accompanies our justifying faith. Otherwise, our faith is dead. And we know that a dead faith is really no faith at all. And so it's been said that we are, we are justified by faith alone, but that faith alone, or that, that faith uh, that justifies is never alone. Justifying faith is always going to bear fruit. And many would profess to believe in Jesus. They profess to have that faith but they, they do not bear that fruit. And James makes that argument very clearly when he says that even the demons believe, and they shudder. But they, the demons certainly have no fruit. They have faith in a sense. They believe in God, but they bear no good fruit. They have not been justified by faith through grace. And so it's important then that our justification is truly a free and blessed gift that the Lord has graciously bestowed upon us. And we demonstrate that we've received that gift and we've been justified by God by doing these good works for His glory. And that is the great, wonderful thing of justification. And it's a a beautiful doctrine. And again, we need to be uh, aware and mindful of this doctrine. And the truth upon it, uh, which it stands, because of the assaults that are coming upon it, where it's being distorted and twisted, where works are once again being mixed with uh, with faith and with grace, and where even the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is being discarded as insufficient and not enough. And so we must be uh, aware of these things, And we must be diligent to know the truth that we have been freely justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ, all because of the abounding grace and mercy of our great God and Savior. In this, we are truly blessed. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God in heaven, we do praise you and thank you for this important reminder about justification. It is such a critical doctrine, and we just pray, Lord, that you would help us to just know the truth. And that to be aware of some of the assaults that are going on, the the ways that it can be subtly twisted, and words twisted, and even trying to, to pit your servant Paul against your servant James. And that they would contradict one another, but that is not true. We know that your word is one. And your word is truth. And that there is no contradiction. And so we just pray that you would continue to help us to be diligent. To always be fighting for the gospel. And to contending for the truth. Because the, the evil one never gives up. And so we just pray Lord that you would be with us. That you would sustain us. That you would especially help each of us to cling to these truths. To cling to these promises. To cling to this glorious doctrine. And that we would truly rest in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in Christ alone is where our salvation is. Not in anything that we've done. We have nothing to boast. But our only boast is in Christ. And in what he has accomplished for us as we considered even this morning. And so we praise you and thank you O Lord for these reminders. And we just pray that you would uh, help us to meditate upon these truths and also what we've considered this morning as we go about our usual activities and labors this week. That we would be equipped to give an answer for the hope that is in us. And that you would continue to give us those opportunities. That the gospel might spread. That we would be faithful witnesses for your glory. And so again, we praise you and thank you for these things. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.